stand or, uh, you know, um, you can always scrub your face with a, you know. Baking soda. So anyhow, it's uh, a matter of, uh, and uh, teeth brighteners, all that kind of stuff, you know, is apparently causing unintended consequences with your uh, uh, marine uh, filter feeding organisms, among other, like I said. So, um, also, I sh- we should tell people, too, the uh, the Boat Talk Cruise is going to be coming up. You've heard about that. I did. Uh, here's a good question for you. Which boat are we going to cruise on, Alan? How's that for a good question to have to ask? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going on the Sea Princess. Oh, right. Yep. Because uh, last... Gippy's boat. Yeah, last one was on, of course, the uh, Starfish Enterprise. Yes, and that uh, last fall one. Yeah, and hopefully we'll do that again too. Oh man, we are lucky to have uh, <laughs> friends with nice boats that OPBs again yeah. have taken us out on a boat talk cruise with a bunch of other people and still like us. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, highly recommended. Is wasn't that Father's Day or some such? It is going to happen June twenty first, Father's Day. It's going to be the Father's Day of all boat talk cruises. Yeah. We can mention the price of that because it's a fundraiser for this year radio station. Yeah, $20 a person, children under 12 free. It's incredibly reasonable, yeah. let alone an oxymoron. Everybody knows kids ain't free, but, you know. Okay. That uh, boat ride has uh, a, uh, what do you call it, potluck component to it, and the Sea Princess in particular perfect for this. It has the biggest engine box on the planet, and we fill it with food, like a uh, giant buffet table, and, and people just circle around it. Yeah, I'm, the food that comes, too, is great. Boy, there's some really interesting and delicious uh, concoctions that people bring there. Yeah, uh, 20 bucks uh, uh, free for the little kids and, and cruise up and down Somme Sound. I mean, that just, uh, again, we, we ain't had a bad one yet, but you could come try the next one. So the Boat Talk Cruise, uh, June 21st, is what they're saying. Now, we got one more uh, note here before we start talking with Max Smith about uh, Mainers on the Titanic here, and that is the uh, French frigate that is coming to Castine oh. in the middle of July. Not only is it coming to Castine in the middle of July, it's coming on Bastille Day, yeah. Alan, which is also going to be Boat Talk Day, July 14th, Tuesday, July 14th, and then Wednesday the 15th is my birthday the next day. Oh, boy. Yeah. Huh. And uh, this French frigate, it's called, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it the Hermione because I've already, it's on not, previous oh. boat, boat, yard, oh, uh, oh. boat talk shows. <laughs> I wouldn't even dare to say it like that. <clears throat> now, I've been uh, soliciting pronunciation, and I can't possibly even uh, imitate, uh, let alone I was in the French club and took four years of French. But we do not pronounce the H, and it's L apostrophe H-E-R-M-I-O-N-E, uh, Hermione. Hermione, okay, uh, Le, La Hermione, which is... Without an H. Yeah. Again, La Hermione. It's Hermione. La Hermione, I believe it is. Yeah. So, uh, yes. This is a, a, a rebuild recreation built in France, took them uh, about a dozen years, Yeah. of uh, a, a Revolutionary War uh, French frigate, the one that actually brought uh, the 21-year-old Marquis de Lafayette to America in 1780. Yeah, yeah. He was 21 years old. He was rich, handsome, and he was man. He found it too, didn't he? Boy, he sure did. Yeah, yeah. he uh, he was riding the high wave. Yeah. Did you have you seen pictures of that boat? It's uh, featured in this month's wooden boat That's that right. is on the newsstands right. right now. Yeah. It's a uh, wonderful, article. wonderful Very pictures article. in there. Yes, and uh, it's a stunning sight. It's uh, uh, authentic as they could make it. Uh, sporting 12-pound uh, authentically cast cannon, let alone an original cannon. Yeah, one uh, original main, cannon. Main uh, mid midship battery. Five miles of rigging. Yeah. Five um, miles. Some of, of the rope. volunteers that built the thing are helping sail it across the Atlantic and will be touring the East Coast of North America, going to places like New York and Boston and Castine, Maine. Castine, Maine. And if you see what those places have in common, Castine, Maine's quite a lot smaller, okay? Um but it was here, uh, Lemion was here during the Revolution looking in on the British who had uh, captured Castine and had made a base there. Mm-hmm. So it's recreating its steps, and it's on, be on its way to uh, Nova Scotia. Now, even better than that, okay, it's, that's just so cool by itself, but I ran into one of the harbor masters the other day. In Castine. Yeah. Castine here. Okay. Yes, cool. I did. And I said... Oh, he didn't run into him in the water. No, and I said, how cool is it that that French frigate is coming? And you know what he said? 
Oh, uh, he yep. says, cool. He says, what a <laughs> bunch of trouble that is already. Huh. And, uh, of course, the logistics are, are uh, going to be kind of interesting, too. Yeah, it's kind of like Hollywood comes to town, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a yeah. 145-foot um, mat, uh, you know, ship-rigged uh, ship that's going to sit on the town dock, okay? You might want to put it where the state of Maine berths, but that berth does not rise and fall with the tide, and you can't see it as you drive down the foot of Main, as you drive down Main Street. It's not in front of your windshield, okay? And the Historical Society wants that on the town dock. And now the town dock ain't that wide. So uh, the gangplank on the ship starts from pretty high up, and as it comes down, it's going to need some travel. So that boat is not going to be nestled right up against the, the float. Great, yeah. It now low needs, tide, you'd go right off the other side of the and float. Now, yeah, the gangplank be right over onto the other side. Now, uh, <laughs> So it's going to need at least two anchors outboard of, of the floating main town dock to keep it off of the float. Hmm. They're going to have to be rigged, okay? It is accompanied by, I believe, several dozen, uh, quote, chase boats of different natures, okay, who have all called Castine and said, we would all like slips at the marina. The marina in Castine. Have you ever been to Castine? They don't have a marina, and they have a really fierce tide that goes through there. There's only a couple places to lay on on the dock in Castine at night, and they're... uh, so anyway, the main anchorage for uh, people in Castine, there's a few uh, moorings on this side, on the Castine side, but the main anchorage is called Smith Cove. It's three-quarters of a mile away in Brooksville, across the harbor. Quite a row. A little bit. Those people are, uh, like I say, going to be mildly surprised by that. You also have to add in, there are um, literally dozens of boats who have also called the Camden local boats, who have also called the uh, Castine Harbor Master people and, and said, we'd like moorings and slip at the marina, too. And uh, there'll be a lot of boat traffic. They expect uh, possibly 5,000-plus people on land to come to Castine, Maine, and try to park and look at this thing. Now, also only 100 people will be uh, apparently given tickets to board it. Everybody else will uh, uh, be watching from the shore, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a sight. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. And and one other thing I think is interesting, I didn't realize, but um, before it sails back across the Atlantic to France, you know where it's going to... Uh, stop last before it goes across? Uh, going to Lunenburg and Halifax. What else? Going to France. Yeah. There's actually a couple of islands off of Newfoundland. They're oh, French, yeah, 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 yeah. French, French territory. I didn't realize that. Yeah, St. Pierre and Miquelon. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to France before they go to France. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah, I've never been. I've been to Newfoundland, and uh, those places are uh, uh, legendary, even if you haven't read Farley Mowat's stories. The boat that didn't float features mm-hmm. St. Pierre and Miquelon and okay. others. Um, huh. Yeah, so anyway. So speaking of books, though, I found out what our uh, premium is that we're going to be uh, – People who sign up during this show are going to be eligible for. Uh, we're going to be giving away a new, brand new book, an excellent one that both you and I are familiar with. It's called uh, Mainers on the Titanic. We have a copy. Oh, right, of it, huh? We I have was, a copy of that. Book I was hoping give. that's what was happening, but I didn't dare <laughs> say nothing. So, especially with the author well, sitting right here. I just right built the suspense. Yeah. Yeah, and we do have Max Smith sitting right here. Say the good morning, Max author. Smith. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, Mac. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you. Your your book, um, Mainers on the Titanic, it, it could have been pretty much of a dry list kind of book, but uh, both Mike and I have been reading it. It's very, very interesting and, and engrossing stories in that book. Thank you. I tried to make a point of not having it be a dry history book because people will not read that, and I, I took great effort to make it lively and told in an interesting way. Yeah, it is an interesting way. Well, we have an incomparable uh, sea story that's literally legendary, but it's above all a people's story, and there's plenty of people to tell stories on. There were a uh, a relatively large amount of people from Maine on Titanic, and as I started to do the research, uh, I started looking at old newspapers from the time and uh, found a a list of... uh, a large list of people and a large number of situations that Maine was involved in at the time of the sinking. Pretty cool. Mac, let's back up on you. Who are you? Uh, what's your resume? Uh, you know, where'd you come from? Uh, how'd you get here this morning? And Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I live across the river over in Sandy Point, Maine. I've lived there all my life except for my four years in the Navy. I uh, 
kind of go about things slow. I graduated college quite late, and I worked down at the Bar Harbor Times, um, and I'm back in Sandy Point now, and I've published this book, and those are the big highlights right there. How did you uh, how did you come to this subject? I was in a bookstore one time looking for a gift for my brother Sean, and I he likes main history and I like Titanic, and I thought if I could put the two together, it would make a it would make a nice book. And as I started to do the research, I found out that there was enough information to put into a book, and I thought it important to preserve this slice of Maine history because time has a way of stealing history and I wanted to get this into you know into history it's only 100 years ago it's a timeless tale i i it's a very timeless tale and i think 100 years from now we will still be talking about titanic yeah and that was 1912 my grandfather michael William Joyce came across in 1911 to Montreal in steerage. Nice. You know, for 20 bucks. Nice. And, uh, you know, wasn't able to wait for the Titanic, thank goodness. <laughs> but it was only 100 years ago. That's the other thing, too. It ain't that far back. It isn't. Um, and one thing I've tried to get into the book is a slice of how things were 100 years ago. Um, automobiles were just, they were debating whether to let automobiles on Mount Desert Island. Uh it was just a time in history that, it, yeah. Well, again, uh, 1912, uh, springtime even, okay? 1912, right before World War One. It's the end of the Gilded Age, basically. Uh, you know, not everybody's getting that, but... That was... Uh, the Titanic uh, was the last of that age where uh, you had the super-rich such as the Astors and... Uh, and and so many servants and gold gold uh, toilets and you know just it's, it was a different time. Personally, I sort of see us coming to that time again. It seems like we're losing our middle class, uh, and it took World War One and the income tax to change that time. The sinking of the Titanic did not have a great effect on that period. It just uh, symbolized the changes that were about to come. Yeah, and uh, again, nobody suspects, suspects the Spanish Inquisition or World War One, you know, and uh, it all changed after that. Yes. Yeah, um, last of the Gilded Age. And, and so on the uh, Titanic for Mainers, we have uh, basically, I would say, two classes of regular people. Well, you've got Mainers and you've got summer people. You've got uh, some regular people and some really fabulously uh, uh, wealthy, interesting individuals. Yes, uh, about half of the uh, families that I talk about in the book were from the Mount Desert Island area. and But this was a time when those families would come in the late spring to their whatever house they owned, whatever cottage, and they would stay until early fall, and they would bring their entire household with them, uh, just crates and crates and train cars full of things uh, to spend the summer down there. And they really, they were part of Maine's fabric. Train cars full of things, literally. I may be exaggerating. Oh, and, uh, you know, and servants and servants and servants. They they did have quite full households. Uh, the Astor family... They would have, uh, they had Mrs. Astor's maid, Mr. Mr. Astor's uh, butler, chauffeur, cook. Uh, they would have a nanny after Mrs. Astor, she would have a nanny after she had her child. Yeah, it's Downton Abbey U.S., basically. And again, the end of that age. Yes. And nobody sees it coming. And uh, again, it's sort of in a, in a kind of metaphorical way. Nobody expected that boat to disappear either. No. Let alone that whole world around them, you know. Which right. Is both of what happened. And even with the sinking, uh, things such as Colonel Astor perishing in the sinking, that, that was unthought of. Uh, if the richest man on the ship could not get on a lifeboat, I mean, it, it, I think it shook the foundations of many people's beliefs. Well, I, not that he could not. I think probably he chose, according to your book, his behavior was very exemplary. And the, he probably chose to let the women and children go first. And I was... Contrary to that, I was amazed at your description of uh, Ismay, the, the the designer. 
Yes. I don't think his behavior was so Oh, nice. Ismay was the, uh, he was the fellow that basically owned the boat, correct? He was the man- managing director of the White Star yeah. Line. And the designer was aboard uh, as well. Uh, his name uh, uh, again? Thomas Andrews. Yeah, Andrews, right. And he, uh, Mr. Andrews actually perished in the sinking. Mr. Ismay got on one of the last lifeboats to be launched in a natural way. And at the time he got on the lifeboat, uh, the sailors were linked arm in arm to prevent men from jumping on this one of the last lifeboats. And Mr. Ismay just sort of slipped on and uh, survived. He would, he would leave the White Star Line shortly after that and basically live in exile. And I died of uh, complications of diabetes, I believe, not too many years after Titanic. I, I believe you said, too, that his hair turned white overnight, basically. Right. Uh, young Jack Thayer from the island went, was one of the few people allowed into uh, Mr. Ismay's cabin, which had a note on the door that said, do not disturb sick woman in, in the cabin. And uh, his hair had turned white or overnight. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, again... Uh you know, put the Titanic out on the glassy, moonlit, uh, ice-covered sea in a minute here. But we got to remind you also, it's the fundraising edition of Boat Talk. We got to ask you for money and support this morning. Yes, yes. Um, we don't go on love. We have to pay the electric bill here. And just a little bit from a lot of different people. is the Back way we up, do. buddy. Back up. We, we go on love. They don't pay us. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Why do we do this? That's and true. how much yes. do we love it? We and the Fair 300 question. other volunteers yeah. do it on uh, And especially you and me, who mm-hmm. also get to do music shows as well. You do uh, the Extra Large Soul Show right. on Thursday afternoons, and 2 to 4. we have the golden key, too, for boat yards being the boat talk guys. Oh, and, man. Isn't it? It's yeah. a little bit of street cred, so you get to, like I say, chat up the uh, harbor master and, and uh, stuff like that. And uh, So anyway... Um, Yes, how cool is it that we even get to do Boat Talk, let alone there's a radio station that will broadcast it and let us keep coming back all the time. And we ask you to support it this morning. There's uh, people standing by out in the kitchen. You can give them a call at 1-800-643-6273. It's what's right here, too. Thank you, yes. And the uh, line, if we'd like to uh, speak with our guest, Max Smith, this morning, author of Mainers on the Titanic is a different number. That's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 625 9378 That's the Boat Talk number. Yeah. We have two people to thank already, too, for uh, calling during Boat Talk. Carol, who uh, would make a donation in honor of Captain Brett from Orland, uh, has made a contribution to WERU. And also uh, Captain Yo, Flaming Fish Performance Models, has renewed his business member to WERU, Captain Yo. Thank you, Yo. Thank you, Yo. Uh, usual suspect, and uh, like I say, great WERU uh, a participator, let alone supporter. And once again, we're talking about ways to support this radio station. Uh, help lift heavy, awkward things, as I like to say, if you don't have a lot of money. Um, we need volunteers as well as uh, donations. So awful popular this morning, ain't you, Alan? <laughs> I don't know what this so is. So anyway, well, Max Smith, author of uh, Mainers on the Titanic, Down East Books, I uh, I noticed, too. That's a uh, uh, good old street cred right there. They they can find shelf space. They, they know what they're doing. I was quite proud that they uh, published the book. Very proud. Yeah. So we've got all these uh, folks on the Titanic, takes off of uh, uh, Southampton, uh, England, and off into the uh, North Atlantic there. The boat is uh, uh, chock full, isn't it? Wasn't it a... Uh, uh, quite a little bit of a prestige thing to get aboard. It was. Uh, it, uh, it was their maiden voyage. And at that time, uh, the first-class passengers would follow specific captains. And that's why Captain Smith was pulled to uh, be the commander of this ship. And that's why you saw the Astors and so many prominent uh, families on that ship. And they liked Captain Smith not only because he was a good navigator and basically didn't ever hit things like uh, like icebergs and rocks, but... Uh, because of his table, his hospitality. It was, uh, like I say, the Gilded Age. This was a very social thing. It was, uh, and one of the main families, the Wideners, held a dinner for him the final night of the voyage, the night that it hit the uh, iceberg. Rumors, I'm not sure if it's in the book, but there were several rumors that Captain Smith was intoxicated, but that seems to be discredited. He was quite disoriented after the ship hit the iceberg. He was one of the few people that knew that 
they had not nearly enough uh, lifeboats and that the nearest rescue ship was far too far away and that the ship would be sunk in an hour or two. So he he was quite disoriented. Maiden voyage, uh, biggest ship ever built, uh, White Star Line, pretty proud of themselves. we got to go back again to the theme of the Gilded Age. Um, there's the Cunard line. There's the uh, uh, Germans, okay, who are whichever line they were, and, and they're all competing against each other, all these captains, lines, and ships. This is a very serious business, uh, not to mention it's the age of uh, faster and, and uh, bigger and better. So, uh, you know, to be able to get across the Atlantic faster than anybody else, that's huge uh, at the time, and that's also what they're trying to do. Yes, uh, they... They had received several iceberg warnings, and if they had taken the time to put the coordinates all together, they would have seen that they were coming up into an ice field that stretched for 20 miles uh, long, and I'm not sure how wide it was. But they were interested in getting to America, to the United States as quickly as possible. Um, yes, it was, it was quite a matter of prestige. It would have been a great story. <laughs> and they made a better one, so <laughs> the irony, you know, unintended consequences. That's what we like on Boat Talk. I think it's, uh, I found it absurd when you, uh, in your book, you listed the uh, recommendations from some of the survivors who wrote down what they think that should be done in the future. And one of the, it seems uh, really stupid now is that they should provide enough uh, lifeboats for everybody on board. Right. Uh, there was, um, um, I've forgotten the last name now, but one of the people from Mount Desert Island headed that committee. And at the time, Titanic was compliant with the regulations of the time, which measured lifeboat space by the square footage of the boat as opposed to the number of people on the boat. So they were within regulations, but those regulations did change after Titanic mm -hmm. sank. Mm -hmm. So we're cruising across the sea. It happens to be nighttime. We've been out a couple of days now. Um, we're, uh, you know, uh, closer to Newfoundland than England now, ain't we? Yes. And uh, it's a starlit night. It's kind of calm. Boat's just speeding along, but there's, uh, it's very cold. It's, everybody's noticed the temperature's dropped. It's cold. And uh, from a lookout in the crow's nest comes uh, iceberg. It's dead ahead. <laughs> yes. And what 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 happened was, uh, they were at the beginning. There was perfect order, uh, and the first few the first few lifeboats that are launched are launched half full. People don't believe that there is danger, and of course, all those survivors. If you read their accounts, they say it was you know everything was fine. As you get to the later lifeboats, though, uh, people are noticing that the ship is. Uh, is down by the head quite a bit and starting to list from side to side as the water fills the insides and uh, their accounts are a little more harrowing. Well, we gotta we gotta back up just a hair, Mac. Uh, we can't skip the crash, okay? Okay. Uh, iceberg dead ahead. Um, hard to starboard on the wheel. Engines in uh, emergency reverse. Not enough, and that thing comes down. I believe it was the starboard side of the ship and and scraped her pretty hard for about three hundred feet. Um, people noticed a, uh, a lurch. Other people saw the Columbrian ice go by their window and, and the side decks and went, uh-oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, other people really didn't notice anything but, heard, but then noticed the engine stop. And that woke them up because the engine's always running. Right. And uh, right away, you have to remember, we have aboard not only uh, Captain Smith, the uh, intrepid mariner, but we have um, the uh, owner of the ship and the fellow who designed it. And right away, uh, everybody knows this is not good. And, and the owner and uh, Captain Andrews, uh, they go on a, a tour pretty early on after the collision. Right. Uh, originally, there was a very brief inspection and, and that came back that everything was fine. But as they dug a little more in depth, they found that the mail bags down at the very head of the ship were floating in the water. And it was quickly ascertained that, uh, that the ship had one to two hours left to live. There was no public address system, but the uh, dilemma for Captain Smith was how quickly did you want people to be prepared for the lifeboats, knowing that there were not enough lifeboats? Because as the last of them were launched, panic set in, and he was stuck. He wanted to get people on the lifeboats as quickly as possible without letting them know that there weren't not enough lifeboats. Well, we're doing uh, uh, boat talk this morning. Mainers on the Titanic were prepared 
appear to be about halfway through it. It's also the uh, fundraising edition. We ask you for a pledge of support this morning, if you would, 1-800-643-6273. We got the Titanic, just smucked the iceberg. The uh, designer of the boat, the captain, all know right away they got about two hours. The uh, designer said, maybe we got two hours. So it was the situation was not unknown, but not everybody got the message. And, again, uh, this sets the scene for different amounts of confusion with all the people that are going to parade through the, through this story. Well, before we leave the iceberg, I have this uh, curious uh, question that probably will never be answered, but uh, correct me if you're right, uh, if I'm right, Mac, but uh, the call was for hard to port, and the iceberg came down the starboard side of the boat? Right. At, at the time, I believe... Uh, they were, uh, the way the controls were, if they said hard to port, they were actually turning the other way, The way, just the way the ships Uh-oh. were designed at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondered if they had turned the other way and hit the iceberg more head on, whether it would have crushed maybe the first two or so watertight compartments, but not enough to sink the boat, rather, that, rather than opening up a big gash along the whole side. That has been suggested uh, many times, and, and I believe that would have been the case. Uh, the few the people in the very forward part of the ship, which would have been mainly crew, would there would have been a small loss of life there, but it would have, the damage would not have been nearly that bad. Hmm. Hmm. We've got uh, more people to thank here, Alan. Yes, we do. Uh, Mike and Rockland called up with an additional gift for Boat Talk. Thank you very much, Mike. And we have another additional gift from Million Ralph in Stockton Springs. Yep. Uh, we can't thank you enough. And again, the uh, fundraising addition to Boat Talk, which they generously let us do over here. And don't forget about the uh, Boat Talk Cruise coming up June 21st. And, again, we have Max Smith, Mainers of the Titanic, this morning. And if you'd like to talk on Boat Talk, the call-in line is one 625 Is there a dot or a dash between those numbers, Alan? What was that? There was uh, a figure of speech. <laughs> So anyway, loose as a goose around Boat Talk most of the time. Uh, you know, uh, no apologies, but that's how we do it, and, uh, you know, sometimes it works. So, uh, Mac, we got all these uh, uh, people on the boat in various states of awareness of uh, what is happening and whether or not, again, we're on a, a totally luxurious uh, world that is just so there, but it's not going to be in two hours, and that's hard to accept for people, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, the first people actually did not want to leave the ship. It just seemed crazy to descend that 70 feet in that small lifeboat. Uh, as time went on, the remaining people were quite glad to get on the, whatever lifeboat they could. I believe the, um, the the crew really didn't know very much about how to lower those lifeboats, too, which made things more of a problem. There was quite a bit of confusion. Yeah. Um, we have a call, though, from our, our friend Captain Yo. Good morning, Yo. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you. I'm wondering if in your research you came across any evidence that the Titanic had been surreptitiously substituted for its sister ship Olympic prior to this voyage because the Olympic had been in uh, a crash earlier and uh, broken her back. And it is speculated that the firm wanted to get the insurance and switch the two vessels after a hasty retrofit to make them look absolutely identical. Did you see any evidence of that? Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. I have heard that story before, um, and I will say I've done, I did 10 years of research uh, on, for this book. Uh, I believe that it has been proven uh, from some of those explorations under sea, there was a certain number assigned to each ship, and I believe that they have found the number which was assigned to Titanic. Uh, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. The other part of that is White Star Line, I, I don't know how it worked, but they insured themselves. So if any insurance money that they would have gotten in a way came out of their own pocket. So I, I think that's been discredited. I cannot say for certain 100%. What's a great legend without a little bit of, uh, you know, 
mystery, uh, real or not. Anything is possible, and there was there were very there are many wealthy people who had a stake in Titanic, and anything's possible. Yeah. Wow. All right, now, uh, the boat is sinking. Let's go to the uh, first boat uh, that gets launched off the Titanic lifeboat, which gets launched off very early. And uh, this boat gets launched off uh, um, an unusual place, too, the top, tippity top of the boat. It's on the uh, top boat deck. And so what's going on there? Tell us about William Sloper, for instance. All right, William Sloper was a... He was a sportsman who, he came to Greenville, uh, he had a summer place in Greenville, and there's still a, the inn that he would go to is now owned by the Sloper family, or used to be. William Sloper was one of the first to get off. He and his companion, uh, who was a movie star at the time, and two other people, they got off the boat, they served, they had, everything went fine for them. He one of the newspapers would identify him as being the man who got off dressed as a woman. And Sloper said that story appeared in one of the Hearst newspapers at the time. Sloper said that he had uh, angered one of a reporter who wanted a story from him and he wouldn't give him the story. So he said that it was retribution for that, that they would put this story in that he was dressed as a woman. Everybody recognizes the story of the man in the dress tried to get into the, the Titanic. It's come down, and poor William Sloper, who was an honorable man and uh, good with money, too, we might add, um, his whole life was dogged by, hey, what about the dress, Bill? Yeah. You know? He would get he would get hate mail or clippings of that article in the mail, and uh, it did haunt him to the point that he wrote a, a biography of his father is what it was set up for, but it was really a chance for him to tell his side of the story once and for all. But the story has lingered. Yeah, and he had uh, accompanied some officers from the ship up to the top deck with with uh, some other uh, passengers, including this uh, actress lady who was a bit uh, hysterical at the time, and he was asked to hold her hand and, and sit and keep her calm. Yes. They launched that boat and said, look, the boat's not sinking or anything, but we're going to lower this one down carefully because we can, and uh, we'll be back to pick you up, is what they told him when they lowered. There was no women and children at the time right. at all. Right. Yeah. On one side of the ship, they were strictly enforcing uh, women and children first. On the other side of the ship, which was run by another officer, if there were no women and children right near the boat, he would then... Uh, see what men were nearby, and then get them into the boat. Those were the first boats launched. By, towards the end, there were far too many women and children that there would be no room for men, although men would somehow appear in the boats. Wow, and, and again, um, you know, uh, basically what's going on is not a mystery, but not everybody's got the word. There's no public address system. Uh, you know, we're not building rafts on the foredeck trying to float as many people as we can. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people as uh, dawning on are going to die. Yes, Yes. No ifs, ands, or buts. This uh, world is going to disappear. Yes. And again, that's just so hard to grasp, you know? I, it's sort of a microcosm of life. We Isn't all know it? our time is limited. Isn't it? And, and that's why it's yeah. such a great story, I think. Yeah. I think that's one reason it remains timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of confusion, there was a family. Uh, I forgot their name now. And um, only one of the children survived. Uh, right. This was uh, the Allison family. And the, it was, again, it was the entire family and several servants. Uh, when the word was spread that the, to get to the lifeboats, the parents didn't believe there was trouble. So young Trevor Allison, who I think was one, one at the time, he his nanny took him to the lifeboats, and then the rest of the family realized the ship was sinking. The mother wouldn't leave without knowing where her son was, so she kept her three-year-old daughter with her, and they stayed on the boat. Uh, that daughter was the only child from first class to perish in the sinking. And again, various levels of awareness and confusion. Uh, the uh, extended family there of nannies and governesses. I mean, where are they all? You know, um, the confusion, uh, it's dark, it's cold. It is. It is. It, and you're almost left to your own devices of uh, should I leave this safe, appearingly safe ship to, to get in this little boat in the middle of the Atlantic or should I stay? Let's sit in the gilded chair, not the wet, stupid yeah. boat. What are you, crazy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. It was 
you know, and if you're that rich and powerful, I I would think that maybe it's not conceivable that you're going to just sink in the Atlantic. Ooh, and once again, folks, we're doing uh, Boat Talk this morning, uh, fundraising edition. Uh, I'll give you two numbers in a minute. Uh, Max Smith is the author of Mainers on the Titanic, uh, Down East Books. Um, fundraising, if you want to pledge a, uh, uh, some support this morning, give us a call at 1-800-643-6273 or... Or four six nine zero five zero zero locally is the uh, local call in number. But to uh, speak to Boat Talk, you can dial one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We got to thank uh, Millie and Ralph from Stockton Springs. They made an additional gift. Uh, Mike from Rockland made an additional gift. Yo uh, from uh, Flame and Fish Performance Models uh, made a business renewal, and Carol. Uh, made a gift in honor of uh, Captain Breath this morning. Uh, again, all cool, and, and let's have some more of that. Yeah. yeah. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Giffy Full and I went down to Thomaston to take a look at the uh, the rebuild of the Nathaniel Bowditch, a schooner of some fame. Nice, at the Lyman Morris Boatyard there. Yes, yeah. And uh, a young, idealistic uh, uh, fellow who grew up around schooners. Yes, his father. To take it on, Noah yep, Barnes. Yep. Yeah, father was a captain of, um, ooh, I'm forgetting that now, the Stephen Tabor, I believe. Yeah, which is a good thing because he comes from schooner culture. Otherwise, he might be insane or just plain uh, bankrupt at the present time. And, and uh they realize the boat will not be launched this year, I gather, and, yeah. and are go- and they're doing it right. They started to say it's going to be, what, a 40% rebuild, and it's not. It's, uh, it's probably, probably about 99 and 44, 100% yeah, it's, rebuild. It's major. So. It's definitely yeah. major. And good on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good on them. Changing the cabin tops quite a bit, though. It's the, the, the yeah, You can see pictures of it at their Facebook page, which well, is... look good to me. Well, you know... Schooner... Uh, Nathaniel Bowditch Rebuild yeah. is their Facebook page. And, uh, yeah, it looks. I think it looks very nice. I like the looks of the new top there. Well, we'll have to keep a, a supervisory eye on them, Alan. Yeah. We know? have a couple of pictures of that going on in the uh, Boat Talk Facebook page, too, also. Yeah. And a picture of the uh, Mainers on the Titanic, too, yeah. for a reminder for people who would like to order the book. I assume you can get it on Amazon. Is that true? You can. You can get it directly from Down East Books, and it's in several bookstores at this Locally? time. Locally? Yes. Great. Great. Now, Max Smith, Manners on the Titanic. You just mentioned uh, the rich and powerful aboard the Titanic. You got to tell us uh, about Colonel Astor. Colonel Astor, uh, there's a lot of information about them in the book. Uh, it's not what I intended, but that's where the bulk of the there was a large amount of uh, coverage of them at the time, it being a newspaper time. Uh, the Astors were supposed to be on the first boat that was lowered. Because at the time, Captain Smith knew the ship was going to sink, and he, I think he wanted to get them off, get some of the rich people off that he was familiar with. The, that first boat was lowered down to A deck. It was discovered that there were windows that could not be opened on A deck, so it was going to be lowered back up to the boat deck, uh, but it wasn't. And point being, that that lifeboat was one of the last ones to be lowered by natural means, and it was 20 minutes before the ship sank. Colonel Astor got his wife uh, on the boat. She was pregnant at the time, and she was only 19 years old. Um, That boat would be lowered into the water, and at this time, everybody knew the ship was going to sink. They were throwing barrels and life chairs and anything they could into the water. They had to, that lifeboat had to face that, those obstacles. Um, They barely made it out alive. Mrs. Astor was rowing. Some of the other women were uh, heaving water out of the bottom of the boat. They barely made it. And this boat held, they called it the millionaire's boat. It held many of the society women from Mount Desert Island. And they had a very harrowing uh, escape from Titanic. Now, Colonel Astor, um, he was uh, insanely rich at the time. He was. He was yeah. the richest man on the on the boat. He had uh, equipped the uh, Astor Battalion uh, in the Spanish-American uh, War and charged ashore with them. Um, you know, he he had got a medal. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I don't know what different people thought about him, but everybody says that he died well. At the time, uh, before, before they got on Titanic, 
he had divorced his first wife and which was a scandal in of itself, but he married Ma- this young Madeline, and Colonel Astor was in his mid-40s at the time. It was quite a scandal on Mount Desert Island and in New York society circles because he would not get into a boat himself. He was, in the end, considered a hero by people. Uh, people's attitudes changed considerably towards him. And again, the beauty of the Colonel Astor story is is young, beautiful Madeline, and you've got to tell us about that uh, that young girl too. She, uh, bless her heart, she she had received great scorn before they sailed on Titanic, and uh, they went to Europe for the winter, sort of to let the press die down. At that time, she found out she was pregnant, so she knew she knew she was in for more. And can you back up a little bit? He met her at the uh, Bar Harbor Tennis Club. She's in her little tennis white dress there, and she's she, killing it on the tennis court. She's the star. She is. She's, uh, she's Young, very, uh, blonde, beautiful. I mean, come on. She is. She's uh, the scandal at the time on the island, though, was that she was more from she was from a rich family, but it was a family that summered more towards Hull's Cove. Oh, my God. And it was in the newspapers at the time, the Bar Harbor Times, it was quite a scandal that she was not. Paul's Yes, she's on the Lord. outskirts of town. And, <laughs> and of course, that was a time when those things meant a huge, huge difference. <laughs> oh, yeah, they uh, he he was divorced, which was scandalous. Just the talk of their romance caused quite a scandal. Yeah, Twenty years different in age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, a beautiful story too, yes. in its own way. True love. Yes. Now, poor Madeline, um, with her questionable social roots, has now done some insane social climbing, but her ladder has just gone down with the ship. So after the ship is gone and Madeline is bravely rowing, um, it's not all uh, easy street for Madeline afterwards, is it? No. uh, Immediately afterwards, I think she had a hard time believing that the colonel had died. Uh, She was hoping there were more rescue boats. There were not. Uh, Her father refused, told people, not to discuss anything with her. So I think for a few weeks she hoped against hope that Colonel Astor would be found. His body was recovered a few weeks after the sinking. Um, And then the speculation that summer was would she come back to Bar Harbor or not. She did not because she was pregnant and Colonel Astor's son from his first marriage, who was older than Madeline, insisted that an Astor heir should be born in the mansion on Fifth Avenue in New York. She would return to Bar Harbor the following summer. She would have two summers that were very quiet. Her sister and mother would would accompany her, and they would go out socially. But she stayed she stayed home with the baby. Uh, the one thing she did do was she decided to wear white in her mourning as opposed to black, which. It wasn't. It was applauded by the press at the time, but it was huge. It was quite a big thing. She would eventually. Uh, she would spend another. She'd spend about three, four years here after the sinking, and the final full year, she was acknowledged as the queen of society down in Bar Harbor. She came out of her shell that last full year or two. Uh, she hosted many balls, did many things. She took some classes. Uh, and she discussed socialism at parties, which was caused quite a stir. Um, because she had inherited, in fact, um, a big chunk of the Astor fortune. And uh, the other uh, possible, and it would have gone to Vincent, all the Vincent Astor. Right. But she got the huge hunk. And again, where did this girl come from? She's only 19 years old. Right. And, and uh, she's not the queen of the world. But at uh, some point, somebody says, well... Uh, 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 she has the moral, she has the legal right to the money, Vincent, uh, the moral, you know, but right. again, um, if she, uh, does not remarry, she got what, uh, how many million dollars? Uh, yeah, I'm not, it was, it More was, than a couple. It, yeah, it was, it was several and she had use of the, uh, mansion. Oh, houses, servants. Oh, yes. Oh, she, she yards, had, yeah. she had. And, of course, we're talking dollar terms in 1912, which, I mean, it was a lot. I yeah, mean, it doesn't wait. matter how many millions. It was plenty. But but she starts uh, uh, that last summer in Bar Harbor. She's coming out of her shell, and she attracts a man now, doesn't she? She does. She uh, Among the things she does is a group of them went to uh, one of the hillsides up there, one of the mountains. I can't remember which one. And they, they have a picnic. They cook pork chops. She burns a pork chop, and, and I... 
but she's with uh, in the company of this man named William Dick, and he had money in his own right, but not not Astor money at all. And she, what would happen is her final summer on Mount Desert Island, nineteen sixteen. They tried to keep it a secret, but they they came to get married. And she went to the town clerk who said, you need to wait three days for your marriage license. Well, that spoiled the surprise. But she would get remarried in Bar Harbor to Mr. Dick and forfeit forfeit her entire inheritance. It cost her the, the Astor mm. fortune. She did it for love, yes. Wow. She did. She was a, a very interesting person. I, I have to say I enjoyed researching her and just telling her stories. Well, and we ain't done yet, Mac. Come no. on. Now, uh, Madeline uh, gave up the fortune for love, but the William Dick marriage did not succeed. She had a couple of wonderful children, uh, you know, yes, but she, ended up divorced from she, Mr. Dick. They would divorce, um, and then she would marry uh by now she's uh, in her early 40s and she would marry a young italian prize fighter named erno fiermonte i believe his name was uh, i thought it was a cuban middleweight but you go on oh sure uh, yeah. and he might have been i know oh, it was no a, it's like i said a middleweight uh, boxer 20 years younger than her, yeah, yes foreigner yeah so it's the shoe was on the other foot as far as the younger spouse he was penniless and i do not know what she got in her divorce from Mr. Dick, but at the time of her death, she did not have very much money at all. Her, She had been pregnant with Colonel Astor's heir, but he had drawn up a will in which any heir born after he died just got a small amount in a trust fund. There was nothing specifically set aside for her son. So she didn't die penniless, but Astor, in Astor terms basically penniless yeah and the cuban middleweight beat her um and she died of a heart attack a couple years later uh you know uh in her in her mid-40s she did uh, madeline uh, young beautiful uh rich uh what a story princess uh, story you know yeah wow yeah. and and just just for what should have just been a beautiful life just turned out to be i think very, probably a very difficult life for it's her. complicated mac Come it's, on. Complicated. it's complicated yes it is we're doing boat talk this morning i uh, hope you enjoy and we're talking to mac smith uh author of mainers on the titanic uh you should check her out and uh talked about a bunch of other stuff too asked you to call and support community radio yes we did and mainers of the titanic is also uh, going to, one copy is going to be given away to uh Whoever we draw from the watering can, people who call up, we have four here already, uh, people who have called 1-800-643-6273 and made a pledge to WERU. Yeah, we got another five or six minutes left, apparently, if uh, you can't trust that clock. Four but, minutes, uh, according know, to John. Who knows? Yep. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, uh, Mac, um, you uh, did a lot of research on this boat, uh, on this book, uh, Mainers on the Titanic. Uh, what else you got up the uh, in your back pocket? Uh? I'm so thrilled that this book was published that I've I've been spending my time doing book talks at different places and and just promoting the book. It's a la- it had it's a labor of love. I I'm thrilled to have it out there. So right now that's where my concentration is. If I can find another subject that interests me enough to do that amount of research. That will be the next book, but right now I'm I'm just enjoying this one. Now you being coy and keeping it secret, or or taking suggestions, you know. I have a few ideas in my head, and I've heard a few think, good yes. suggestions, but yeah. we'll see. I'll if it's boat related, I'll be right back here to <laughs> good. talk about good. it. Mac, uh, born and raised in Maine, always loved uh, you know history and uh, particularly the discovery of the state of Maine. You know, uh, back to. Uh, oh, uh, I'll think of the guy's name, Weymouth, George Weymouth, you know, kidnapping Indians off the coast. And so, I love that stuff. Sure, okay. sure. Um, went to a university in Nova Scotia and didn't know what to study my first year. And I thought, American history, I'll kill that, okay? It was the hardest course I took that year, harder in chemistry. And the guy says, look, history is not the story of what happened. It's the story of how the stories get told, you know. And it's all about how stories get told, not exactly about what happens. So, I agree. Uh, interpretation and an unlimited amount of stories out there. Yes. You know? Yes. And you hate to see them lost to time. That's one reason I wrote this book. These stories do get lost over time and, and they should be preserved. Lost to time and timeless because it's all human nature and it circles back and that's what touches us so hard, you know? 
Um, yeah. Out of curiosity, if you did you come across any uh, stories of any animals surviving the Titanic? Oh, thank you. There, yes, actually, it's told in here. Uh, the Harper family from uh, from Mount Desert Island, one of the fir- one of the earlier boats launched, and Mr. Harper, his wife, and his manservant, along with their pet dog, were all all allowed onto the lifeboat, and it's one of the few animals that actually survived the sinking. Our friend Johnnyford does dog talk on the third Thursday of the month. He also does scouting the perimeters, and yesterday he had a vet on his music program and did dog talk, and I called in to ask if any dogs survived the Titanic, and they didn't answer my question, but they gave us there a walk. So. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm thankful we got that out. Yes, the yes. dogs all didn't die. Yes. I believe there was a cat who also survived yeah. pretty much the same way in, right. in a basket. And the, lady, and the man in the, in the uh, I'm telling you, Bill in the dress, not the way it went down, people. Hmm. Don't piss off a reporter. And you got to imagine the, the press frenzy was unprecedented at the time. You talk about paparazzi and, and uh, you know, a press frenzy to find out what was happening when Carpathia landed in uh, uh, New York, when it was just coming down the coast, the whole, the the ships that went out and picked up the bodies, the whole nine yes. yards, you know. And I go into uh, what happened in Halifax, Nova Scotia, when when those bodies were recovered and the people from Maine who went up there to recover their mm. the remains of their loved ones. Well, uh, I hear purple. piping music in yeah. the background. I see lights flashing. I get awful confused. We're uh, coming up on the talk, end. Though, the I know that. Talk. Thank you. So this is... Uh, Boat Talk anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague saying thank you for uh, supporting Community Radio. Pledge line again is 1-800-643-6273. Stay tuned for Rich Hill Singer coming up next. Oh, drawing. We need to do the drawing. Yeah, let's do it. Can we do that real quick? Yep. Yeah, Alan is reaching into the can and drawing out the uh, slip of paper, which we will give the book. Manners on the Titanic. To Mike in Rockland. All right, congratulations. Thanks for supporting Community Radio this morning. Uh, We'll we'll see if we can get it autographed for you, too, Mike. Yep. On the wing, up next. Stay tuned. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for 30 years near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. Support for WERU also comes from Allen Insurance and Financial of Camden, helping to insure Maine boats and their people since 1866, an employee-owned company, allininsuranceandfinancial.com or 800-439-4311. Support for news and public affairs programming on WERU Community Radio comes from you, our loyal listeners. You value the information and conversation you find on WERU, And you show it when you call the pledge line at 1-800-643-6273.